10 from the Vikings 19. Minnesota leads by five. Zadarius Smith comes flying up the center. Throws to the goal strike and it's intercepted by Cam Bynum. And that is your ball game. Why wouldn't it come down to the wire? Why wouldn't it be a spine tingler? Why wouldn't Mike White be throwing into the end zone trying to win the game? That's 2022 Minnesota Vikings football. Indeed it is. I assume Paul Allen, the voice of the Vikings, slept well last night. Another day of up and down and topsy-turvy. A 22-3 lead by the Vikings in the first half. Almost completely evaporated. The Jets kept coming. Two drives by the Jets in the final couple of minutes that had an opportunity to score what would have been the game-winning touchdown. Now, if they had done it the first time, the Vikings would have gotten the ball back and had a chance to drive down and obviously win the game. But at the end, it was, it was all or nothing. It was win or go home. And yet again, I don't know how they do it because there are stretches of the game where the defense looks horrible. There are stretches of the game where the offense feels like it can't get out of neutral. And yet, yeah. when the clock strikes zero, the one stat that matters – Points scored versus points allowed. The Vikings keep finding a way. And and I talked to Patrick Peterson about this yesterday. The defense has a belief among the 11 guys on the field. They each individually believe that they're going to be the one to make the play that saves the day. And one of them always seems to figure out a way to do it. Well, yeah, and it's their formula. You know, Mike, a lot of people talk about how there's a randomness to winning close games, one-score games, one-possession games, whatever you want to call them. And I don't know. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But I feel like the good teams are the teams that know how to make the critical plays and the critical situations. And I, I don't think that that's all that random. The Vikings know how to do that this year. You know, whether or not they allow teams back into the game, they seem to be able to make the critical plays at the most critical situations. And that's what leads to victories. And when you have guys who can make plays like that, when you have guys like a Patrick Peterson who's been in the league for as long as he's been in it, and they understand that all it takes is making the critical play to win the game, then that's where you get to where you are. So... I think that the Vikings certainly can still be one of those teams that make noise in the postseason because they know that they're battle-tested, right? If they're in a tight game, they know exactly what they have to do to pull it out. Well, and I asked Peterson about that yesterday as relates to the fact that you keep doing it. You know, you develop more confidence that you will continue to do it like anything else. And one thing that he pointed out was that he's starting to notice that the opposing offenses are bracing for it. Like, here Mm. it comes. And he said, you know, they must be talking about it during the week. Hey, you get down to the fourth quarter. Be careful. You know, they got a knack for making something happen. That's where we have to really be on top of our game. So everybody gets to that moment. It's like any other competitive endeavor. There's whatever it is that you've planned for. And you've talked about it, and you've been coached on it, and it's been the subject of meetings. And then you get to that moment, and you're like, oh, no, here it is. Uh Uh-oh. Well, this is where they're really good at finding a way to make a play. I don't want to be the one that screws up and lets them make the play. Like, who's going to make the play? And you get thrown off. I I think it becomes kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy where the Vikings feel it, and their opponents are starting to feel it. 
And that's where yeah. it becomes powerful. And the only way to kill this beast is to do what the Eagles did and what the Cowboys did. You right. put them away and you, you create no opportunity for any fourth quarter magic. You, you are so far ahead. There's nothing they can do. That's how, and I think that's how it's eventually going to end for them. It's not going to be this three-hour roller coaster in the wild card round, divisional round, conference championship, Super Bowl. At some point along the way to the Super Bowl, somebody is going to squish them, and they're not going to have a chance to pull off that dramatic victory at the end. That's my prediction, and I will own it. Old takes exposed if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's not a terrible prediction. I mean, based on what we've seen from them against the Cowboys and the Eagles, which are two teams that they would probably have to face, at least one of them, right, in terms of trying to make it to the Super Bowl. So I don't, I don't see that as a bad prediction by you. Um, I look, and there still is a way that if, if they could just get it all to click, we, we always hear teams, oh, we just need to play a complete, a complete game, game. A complete yes. game. Well, the problem is the other team's trying to play a complete game, too. That's one of the reasons why all these coaches out there that are lamenting the inability to play a complete game are upset about it because the other team just doesn't say, go ahead, run your plays. Yeah, we'll just pretend we're not here. But the offense is good enough. The offense has the potential to put up 30 to 40 points a game if it can click. The defense, we see in flashes, they can make plays. It's just, it's, it's like, it's not even on the field a lot of the times. Between the 20s, they just, it's like, they're like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and gain your yards. We'll, we'll worry about, we'll worry about keeping you from scoring when we get inside the 20, which is exactly what they did yesterday. I mean, the Jets should have won this game. And Mike White, even though his numbers weren't great, Mike White looks the part. And he has more and more supporters in the locker room. If I'm Zach Wilson, I'm like, oh, my God, what, what, what did I do to deserve this? Where I'm supposed to be pressing the reset button to get back on the field. Meanwhile, this guy's running away with the job. And they're, all, they're wearing Mike White T-shirts. And the stuff Garrett Wilson said after the game against Mike White, I'd go back and check the score and make sure they didn't actually win the game. I, they, they were the kind of glowing quotes that you never see get made about a quarterback whose team lost the game, but that's how much they believe in this guy. So I think the Jets will be fine. They should have won yesterday. Now, look, they're seven and five. They got the Bills in Buffalo. They lose that when they're seven and six. But I still think they'll find a way to to get in to the tournament this year and lay the foundation for maybe a big step next year. I, I would agree with you, Mike. And and one of the things about Mike White I mean, that we saw yesterday was just his absolute toughness. I mean, there was a play late in that game in the fourth quarter where he gets crushed on third down. He was down for a little bit. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, is this the end for Mike White? Is he going to have to come out? And he gets back up, gets in the huddle. They call the play. It's fourth and 10. And he fires a seed, as we're going to see right here, down the middle of the field. I mean, that is a great ball. And especially considering the situation, that, I think, tells you why the Jets players have the kind of belief that they have in him. Because he has the toughness and he's got the ability. And also, I mean, you see him walking into the stadium with, you know, Mighty Ducks jerseys on with the some of his teammates. I know CJ Uzama was part of that. You weren't all... I don't want to silly like put Zach Wilson down with this, but like this is not the kind of thing that you were seeing with Zach Wilson, right? It's the kind of thing that you see with Mike White. He has really sort of galvanized that offense and that team. And that's one of those intangibles that you can't necessarily measure, but I think it has a certain effect 
on the New York Jets, and that's why they feel good going forward with him. I mean, yeah, they were done at 20 to 3. They were done. And and they they willed their way back into it to the point where it felt inevitable that they were going to win the game. There were stretches in the second half where I'm like, this is it. They're going to take this thing. They are going to win this game. They're going to come back from 17 down, and the legend of Mike White is going to continue. But they still failed, and the legend of Mike White continues. And I'm looking at his numbers, 31 for 57, 369 yards, two interceptions, no touchdowns. It works out to a passer rating south of of 70, I think. Uh, So, I mean, it was not a good day statistically, but they moved the ball. The problem was the red zone. One for six in the red zone when it comes to scoring touchdowns. Five field goals on the day. A couple of turnovers. Well, one turnover late. One of the field goals was well out of the red zone. It was the 60-yarder that that really was the first indication maybe we have a game here. It goes from 20-3 to 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 20-6 right before the end of the half because Greg Zerline willed a 60-yarder just inside the upright. But... Mike White was 3-for-16, or the Jets overall were 3-for-16, converting third downs. Um, And even with all that, that's the thing. You're looking at some like, what the hell? And even with those what the hell, they still – they have the the running game going. Brees Hall, long gone. Running game still good. Garrett Wilson, stud. They've got pieces around them. They really I, – I just – I feel like this team is just scratching the surface on what it can be. They're learning how good they are. Like, they don't quite yeah. realize yet what they are and what they can be. Games like yesterday are an opportunity to come to that conclusion. But I still think they understand what they have, and they're going to continue to build on it. There, there are no moral victories, but if Braxton Berrios catches that pass, at, you know, in the end zone on fourth down, then we're having a bit of a different discussion today. Maybe, maybe. I mean, the it, Vikings still could. They, they would have had time. That was the yes, drive where they would have yes. had time to maybe try to right. do something. Yes. It, but like I said, it's a, it's a bit of a different discussion. I think we're still, you know, in this conversation, we're still praising Mike White, you know, for helping bring the Vikings back. Um, and the Vikings defense was great in the red zone. I think we got to give them credit at least for that. But yeah, I, you know, I, I, I agree with you that the, the Jets are learning how good they are. And frankly, if you just execute a little bit better down here in the red zone, then you win that game. And when you go one for six in the red zone, that really tells you just how many opportunities you missed. You have to be able to score more points when you're down there in those critical situations. So we'll see how they do against the Buffalo Bills, which is another good defense. But let, there it is right there. Yeah, you know, catch the ball, barriers. Braxton Berrios. Hey, catch the ball. Interesting decisions, too. Throwing it twice on third yeah. down and fourth down when yes. your running game is looking pretty good. Look at that throw. Threading it, the needle. It's a good throw. Berrios. Awesome. I mean, that, that, catch the ball. Yeah. Help your quarterback out right there. I think Braxton Berrios would say he's got to catch that ball. So, you know, I mean, it's not – you have to make those plays if you're going to be a winning football program. And the Jets didn't do it yesterday, but they at least seem like they are in the living, breathing NFL where it's, <laughs> at times in the past few years, it has not seemed like that at all. Going into this season, I said there were three teams in the AFC that were – in a position where they had no chance to contend. There were 13 contenders, and then there were the Jets, the Texans, and the Jaguars. And here are the Jets. At best this year was supposed to be the Jets, you know, getting to six or seven wins, having reason to think that next year they can make the step. They've made the step. 
they've been phenomenal. And they've stolen games that maybe they should have lost just through sheer will, through great coaching. Yeah. They've been through this up and down with the quarterback position. But I, I think they're in, in great shape. And if they could go to Buffalo and knock off the Bills, they'd be in even better shape. But that's that's a tall order coming up in six days. That's a great game looming on mm-hmm. the Week 14 schedule. One of the other great games that was looming on the Week 13 schedule, there were like five games involving really good teams yesterday, the Eagles and the Titans. Well, the Titans didn't show up for this one. The Philadelphia Eagles, it was close early on. But the Eagles, you know, this is the pick-your-poison offense. Green Bay mm-hmm. Packers, we're going to run all over you. Tennessee Titans, we're going to throw all over you. And, you know, we kind of knew that A.J. Brown would be looking to have a little bit of a little bit of a day to stick it to the Titans for trading him when maybe they should have paid him. Two touchdowns for A.J. Brown. And uh, it, 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 119 yards, it felt like he had more than that. It felt like he had a bigger day than he did, maybe because he had that one long catch where the, the foot was out of bounds and he came back on the next one and had this. How do you get that open? Somebody I, falls. Yeah, I mean that's, uh, and and now, okay, they they call Ugh. they called interference on the guy for being in. He, like, I was I it was completely incidental. He ran into him, ran through him, and there he goes, wide open for the touchdown. It's just the Eagles have that have that vibe this year. Uh. We spent a lot of time talking about the other teams, but you know. I always look for a team of destiny. I feel like the Eagles are that team this year. And there's been nothing, other than the loss to the Commanders on a Monday night a few weeks back, there's been nothing about this year that shakes my faith that there's something special about the Eagles, that they're just five years after they won the Super Bowl with a completely different team. I know there are some constants, some guys still there who were there. But, you know, the, the key players, the, the quarterback, the receivers, there's so much different about this team. Coach is different. And uh, they, they have that same vibe they did. Remember, it was into December because I, I, I feel like people believe or they remember that it was kind of an unlikely thing for the Eagles. It was only unlikely because Carson Wentz against the Rams, middle of December, suffered the torn ACL. So we, we took him off the board. It was the, the Jimmy Garoppolo conversation. It's over. It's done. The MVP candidate's gone. And Nick Foles comes in and takes it the rest of the way. This year... Jalen Hurts getting it done, everybody healthy, and it just feels like this is the team to beat, and every other team out there is going to have a hard time doing it. When you see what they did to the Titans, who needed that game, coming off of a loss last week at home to Cincinnati, to get beat that badly, it just shows you how good the Eagles are. Yeah, they they absolutely dismantled the Titans. And it's funny, I mean, you know, obviously, like you said, there are so many different pieces, but the formula is kind of the same in that the Eagles will just kick your ass up front, right? We saw it last week when they're going up against the Green Bay Packers and they run for, you know, a million and five yards on them and have the most rushing yards that they've had in a game since 1948. And then this year, this year, this week, they go and they dismantle the Titans through the passing game. And it's like when you have that kind of adaptability where your offense can be so effective one way in one week and then so effective in another way the next week. I mean, look at what Jalen Hurts is doing right here, man. This is ridiculous. He has been so, so good. And like this is the kind of game for me that puts Jalen Hurts back at the top of the MVP conversation because it's not just one thing with him. You always know that they can win in whatever way they have to. And I love that about the Philadelphia Eagles this year. Mike, I mean, the fact that A.J. Brown 
basically lapped more than once what the Titans wide receivers could do offensively in that game. That tells you a lot about how good AJ Brown is and how the Tennessee Titans really, really could have used somebody like AJ Brown in that game consistently. I know Traylon Burks got hurt, but still, when you have somebody who's proven like that, it makes a huge difference. Traylon Burks got rocked and he made a hell of a catch and held on to the ball. And I don't know how we didn't have an ejection there considering the ejection that we saw on Thursday night. I think it may just be, and we were talking about this in the, in the studio watching the game yesterday, when you have a standalone game and yes. it has the full focus of the league office, you're more likely to see an ejection in that spot than when it's one of eight that were happening. But it was a great catch by Traylon Burks. Unfortunate that he couldn't continue. The other side of it, too, when Derrick Henry is bottled up, 11 carries mm-hmm. for 30 yards. And, and one of the reasons, too, is you'll fall behind. And there goes the Derrick Henry equation. But still, you've got to be able to do something other than run the ball. Or you've got to be, doing, you've got to be able to do something other than run the ball. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. You've got to have something else in your playbook on the days that Derrick Henry can't get it done. And we've seen for right. two weeks in a row now. The Bengals were able to bottle up Derrick Henry, and they couldn't respond for the most part. And now the Eagles did the same thing. So you take away Derrick Henry, and the Titans don't have that counterpunch. Whereas with the Eagles, if you take away one thing they do, they can do the other thing. And then, okay, you're going to take away that thing, then we'll go back to the other thing. We're going to take try. Okay, then we'll do that. Pick your poison. It's up to you. We've got the yeah. offense that's good enough to do whatever you let us do. That's what it's about. The defense is no. going to let you do something necessarily yeah. there's going to be a hole there you just take advantage of it whatever they're giving you you go take it well and then i mean you talk about bottling up derrick henry but also the pass rush i mean they can get after you with four that's what i mean by it. it's kind of the same formula that they had when they won in 2017 they could rush with four back then they can rush with four now and whenever you do that it allows your defense to do a lot more things on the back end that can help out your guys up front Right. So it always they always they say, you know, the cliche Russian cover go hand in hand. I think the Eagles are a really, really good example of that, because if you can win at the point of attack with four guys, then like your coverage is going to be that much better. The Eagles don't have the easiest of roads the rest of the way, but you know, they got the Giants twice still and the Giants don't have the same overall feel that they had early in the year. The toughest game left is going to be the Cowboys on Christmas Eve. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, I, still, I still don't see how the Eagles blow the one seed at this point because they've, they've essentially got a two-game lead over the Vikings. The Vikings have to right. catch them and then go ahead of them because the Vikings lose the head-to-head tiebreaker. you got five games left to make up two games. And this doesn't look like a team that's going to have many more stumbles like the one that we saw on the Monday night against Washington. And then the Eagles had a couple of other games where, you know, like the Colts game. The the true sign of a great team to me is when you really think they should have lost a game and they still find a way to win the damn game. Like, even when they have a bad day, they find a way to engineer a good result. And when they have a good day, forget about it. And that's what we saw yesterday. A really good day, a complete win, 35-10 to 10 over the Tennessee Titans. And I just, you know, I hey, anything can happen, I know. But right now, 
to me, the Eagles are the clear favorite in the NFC to get to the Super Bowl. Who knows what will happen when they – who knows? Wouldn't Eagles-Chiefs be a hell of a Super Bowl? Andy Reid. Oh, yes. Going against Philadelphia. Yeah. Eagles-Bills. I mean, Eagles versus whoever the AFC produces is going to be – a great Super Bowl, if that's what it comes down to, and I feel like that's where it's heading. And, uh, but as I said, anything can happen. One of these other teams in the NFC can maybe maybe get lucky. We've seen in the divisional round the team that had the week off, they're a little flat-footed. You know, maybe maybe it may. I'll believe it when I see it. For now, Eagles versus whoever from the AFC is my Super Bowl pick. Let's go ahead and take a break. Superlatives time when this Monday edition of PMT Live continues right after this. Coach, don't win. Let's go for the win, man. You have to listen to that one carefully, and the bleep makes it harder to appreciate what Mike Tomlin said as that fan gave him a little encouragement at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta saying, hey, Coach Tomlin, go for the win. He says, I'm effing working. That, that. <laughs> and he knows the guy's got his phone out. I just love that. I got no time. I don't care. Put it on social media. I'm working, man. I love that. Yeah, me too. That's a, that is another good Mike Tomlinism. You know, we got, he needs no endorsement from me. Splash plays. Hey man, I'm effing working. <laughs> we seek no comfort. That's one of his. Yeah. His, so he, he gets into that. He gets into, and it's, and it's a very like Stern, but it's the old Woody pull string. There's a snake in my boot. He's got yeah. those sayings. Now we have to add to it. I'm effing working. All right, we're we're effing working here, or at least we we're are. pretending to. Superlatives time, week thirteen. Go. Kenny Pickett and the Steelers offense. Speaking of Mike Tomlin, they're picking it up. Oh, because, oh, uh, I see. oh, oh. Correct. Yeah, I know. I'm not funny. Sometimes I need to remember that. Um, but oh. yeah, look the. <laughs> Thanks. They are playing better football, right? And I think that the Steelers are kind of turning into one of those teams that you don't really want to see down the stretch. They're going to play the Baltimore Ravens next week, and we don't necessarily know what's going to be happening with Lamar Jackson. And if Kenny Pickett is making throws like this, like he did to Connor Hayward yesterday, then we're going to see the Steelers look more like the Steelers were used to, you know, where they're playing hard-nosed defense. They're getting the plays that they need to. Kenny Pickett continues to make the progressions. Mike Tomlin says, you know, like say, you know, I, I say it every week. You guys keep asking me, but he's getting better in all areas. I think we're seeing that. The offense looks more fluid. If that keeps happening, then maybe the Steelers aren't going to finish with a losing record for the first time under Mike Tomlin. Amazing to think that they are potentially in position to get to nine and eight. And who knows what's going to happen in the AFC. It's a tough, tough road, but you know, you get a little more clarity with each passing week. Maybe the Chargers are going to fall out. Maybe the Patriots are going to fall out. Maybe there's an opening there for the Steelers if they can keep winning to climb into the seventh spot like they did last. Like they leave them for dead, and they just kind of find a way when no one's really paying attention. Look how it falls for them this week. They get the Ravens in Pittsburgh, and the Ravens may not have Lamar Jackson. And mm -hmm. you can pick up a victory that way. Even if they have Lamar Jackson, the Steelers are good enough in that rivalry 
to win those games. They can just keep checking them off, checking them off, checking them off. And that intensity for Mike Tomlin, he's locked in. He's in stretch run mode. He's been there before. He's done it before. And he's got this team pointed in the right direction. They get that win, and they continue to roll forward. So, And to me, I, I loved being able to watch Kenny Pickett do his thing last Monday night, standalone game. He impressed me with the two-point conversion where he kind of sprinted to the right, fired the just perfect – needle threader to George Pickens to get, you know, not a huge play in the grand scheme of things, but it just tells you this guy gets it. He's here. And no matter how this year goes, everything next year is going to be in a better position for the Steelers because he will be better equipped and better prepared to have a great year. All right. Um, They didn't get the memo. And you'll hear that cliche from time to time. Oh, sorry. I didn't get the memo. Right. Oh, as an excuse for whatever. Well, you'll get the same shirt on. Oh, I didn't get the memo. All right. The Bengals clearly didn't get the memo because a memo went out Friday. I caught wind of this just before the show last night, and we had so many moving parts we couldn't get it into the broadcast. But the NFL has warned all teams about faking injuries. No more of this. And we're going to punish everyone, the team, the coach, the player. Suspensions are on the table for the player. Loss of draft picks. That's the way to get the attention of the NFL's teams. That's on the table. That said, and look, you got some layers and levels, I guess, it has got to jump through between Friday and Sunday. Maybe that's not enough time to get the message because look at this one from the Chiefs-Bengals game. This is amazing to me. Jesse Bates, see, he sees what's happening. A couple of guys coming in late, and the what is that? Down goes oh. Jesse Bates. Oh, my hamstring. Oh, my arm. It's broken. And he just walks off the field, and he's perfectly fine. That's going to be a problem for the Bengals. And my understanding, Miles, is there are multiple cases on appeal already involving punishments imposed for fake injuries. Well, Jesse Bates is going to be added to the list. And they, they've made it clear they'll investigate, they'll talk to people. And, and I, don't, you know, I don't know, are you going to get folks to break ranks and say, yeah, they told me to do it or whatever? I don't know. But the NFL is pissed about it, and they have to be upset about this one from yesterday and it's entirely possible I don't know what point in the game that was because this memo just kind of landed in my in my inbox out of the blue yesterday in the hour before we started football night in America maybe somebody at the league office saw that and said you know we just sent this damn memo out on Friday and look at this crap that they're trying to pull so um it'll be interesting to see because I get the feeling it's going to hit the fan this week we're going to hear about some specific people who have been punished for faking injuries and uh, yeah it's it's been around football forever. I remember when I played in grade school, you know, two guys fell down on the ground grabbing their knee and they looked at each other and one of them jumped up and was fine. So it's, it's a way to, you know, manage the clock and take the steam out of an offense, do whatever you need to do, get a free timeout. But yeah, the NFL's the NFL's not happy. And, uh, uh, you can't be happy after seeing the Jesse Bates thing, Miles. Yeah, the, the Bates one is particularly bad. I mean, you're talking about you know going all the way back to grade school. I'm surprised you remember that, man. That was a long time ago for you. Now, listen, that is you're supposed to respect your elders. <laughs> occasionally, I do. Occasionally, I don't. Uh, all right, let's go to the next one. Uh, for me, for superlatives, barbecue chicken. 
because Keenan Allen was mentioning that about the Raiders secondary, but lo and behold, it actually was Devontae Adams who turned the Los Angeles Chargers secondary into barbecue chicken because he had eight catches, 177 yards, two touchdowns. This one, which was absolutely brilliant, 31 yarder then on the next drive a 45 yard touchdown off of a flea flicker this is a great one 71 percent of Derek Carr's 250 passing yards went to Devontae Adams which sounds kind of like the 2021 Packers but when you are the Raiders this is what I thought they would start to look like you know, about mid-season after they beat the Texans, they had beaten the Broncos at home. And I thought that this is what they were going to start looking more like when they go to New Orleans and then they get shut out and they go to Jacksonville and they blow another lead. But now it's like, oh yeah, things are starting to progress. Things are starting to work. And it at least looks like the Raiders are a decent team that is another team that potentially you don't want to play in these last, you know, five, six weeks of the season, whatever it is we got left. The best thing that ever happened to them was losing to the Colts in Jeff Saturday's first game. They've been unbeatable since then. And the Colts, by the way, the Colts haven't won since beating the Raiders Mm -hmm. in Jeff Saturday's first game. One more for me. Aaron Rodgers still owns the Bears. At a time when we were getting ready, and I had a snarkier possibility in mind, but I went with that. Um, but, you know, it's like Aaron Rodgers, sit down. Jordan Love, let him finish out the string. They're going into the bye week now. They're still alive in the NFC. Aaron Rodgers has said he wants to keep playing until they're mathematically eliminated. And then later in the week, he said he wants to keep playing no matter what. And that's, But he's willing to have the conversation. And a lot of it depends on next year. I mean, there was a lot of old school Aaron Rodgers mind games last week. But even with Justin Fields, and this was an impressive feat, six straight games with 50-plus rushing yards and a rushing touchdown, the longest single-season streak for the Bears since Gale Sayers in 1969. And he's the quarterback, for crying out loud. I mean, it felt like the Bears were going to win this game, but they just ran out of steam. No matter how good Justin Fields is, they don't have the horses around him to get it done. And the Packers got the win, and they've reversed that recent slide, and we'll see what they have. Now Aaron Rodgers has a chance for the thumb to heal, for the ribs to fully heal. He was wearing, like, half of a flak jacket. And uh, he bids farewell to the place that he owns. Beats, and it may be his last time ever playing at Soldier Field. Who knows what he's going to do next year. But he'll be better when they come out of this. they got four games left. And we'll see if they can get themselves into that seventh seed. Again, I've said this several times. Let me say it again. Never stops me. The fact that I've said something before never stops me from saying it again. Uh, the Vikings don't want the Packers coming into U.S. Bank Stadium as the seventh seed if the Vikings are the two seed. You don't. You never want a team from your own division, but you especially don't want Aaron Rodgers. And, and all those Packers fans are going to buy up tickets, whatever ticket they can get. They're going to be there, and it's going to be loud, louder than it would otherwise be for a team coming into Minnesota. But we've seen it before when the Packers fans get in there. You don't want that in the playoffs if you're the Vikings, and the Packers are not dead yet. No, they're not dead yet. And Aaron Rodgers can still do Aaron Rodgers things. How about Christian Watson too, man? All the dude does is score touchdowns. He's been great in these last few weeks, and now he's really getting comfortable with Aaron Rodgers. So, look, if they can keep on this track that they're on right now, sure, they could maybe make a little bit of noise. I don't necessarily anticipate it, but, you know, you can't count Aaron Rodgers out yet. You just can't. Just imagine, just imagine. 
how good Christian Watson would have been if his quarterback had been dialed in through the offseason. I knew you were going to go there. Uh, I knew you were going to do it. Yeah, you just, always do it. Am I that predictable? I fear I've been typecast. A little. Uh, they've got the Rams on Monday night, December 19, which should be a win. Number one, Dub. it's in Green Bay. Number two, uh, Matthew Stafford will not be back from injured reserve. Then it's Christmas Day at the Dolphins. Then the Vikings. New Year's Day in a 4.25 p.m. Eastern spot, and then they finish the season against the Detroit Lions. You know, maybe maybe it maybe it comes down to Week 18, Lions-Packers. Winners wow, in, losers fun. out. Um, I don't know that – see, the problem with those wild card spots, because the NFL and NBC always looks for that one game you can put into the final spot of the final week of the season, which is win or go home, a playoff play-in game. And usually it's – among the top two teams in the division where the second-place team has no chance of a wild card. But this could be a de facto playoff game, depending upon where everyone else is. But as you see the Giants start to fade, you know, may- maybe between the Lions and the Packers, they can, they can do it. We'll see. All right, um, let's take a break. We will now, at least when we return, we'll talk about the Sunday night game. So all you Cowboys fans have been waiting patiently for the Cowboys to get the praise they deserve after completely stomping the Colts. That will happen when PFT Live continues right after this. We were just talking about that running back room. You think about Zeke Elliott. He's obviously been around forever. But Tony Pollard and the way that he performed tonight, what do we need to know about Tony Pollard, you know, being inside that locker room with him? Just know TP, he can break it from anywhere if you haven't noticed already. Uh... Man, I don't even I don't even know. I just told them guys today, like I, I appreciate y'all boys. Like y'all take so much stress off, off of us as receivers and understanding y'all gonna get the ball just about 30 times a game and everyone understands that. And just for them, him and TP, Zeke and TP that is, just to contribute and consistently on a weekly basis, just just tote the tote the rock is crazy like. Yeah, how close are they, those two? Oh, they real close, bro. You can't catch them up. <laughs> C.D. Lamb on Sunday Night Football Final. You can watch that the entire show on Peacock until 7 p.m. Eastern. That was after the Cowboys completely destroyed the Colts. And it went from 21-19, and maybe we got something here, to 54-19. And Jason Garrett, the former Cowboys coach, who is now part of Football Night in America, said Cowboys by 40 last night. He called his shot, and he almost was right. After we spent 45 minutes of the game thinking there's no way they're going to win by 40, they won by 35. I've never seen anything like it where it just would not stop. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of one of those fluke things that happens. But it had to be tough to be a Colts fan from going toe-to-toe with the Cowboys and maybe finding a way in prime time to steal a victory and, and would have been the signature win for Jeff Saturday and a big – it's a big – one of those you could puff your chest out for a month after that. It all just fell apart. Unbelievable. Final score, 54-19. Scorigami, by the way, Mike Tirico mentioned that in the postgame show. Mm-hmm. Never happened before. And hopefully in a primetime game, it'll never happen again. <laughs> you know, Mike, the, the closest thing I feel like I ever saw to something like that was 33 points in a quarter. Was I was a junior in college and Columbia went up to Cambridge and played Harvard and they lost 69 to nothing. And uh, Harvard scored 28 points in the second quarter. And other than that, I've never seen anything like that. You know, where you have 
33 points in a single quarter, especially because the game was close. And you know, the Cowboys, as I kind of felt like they were kind of playing with their food a little bit. You know, or you're just kind of, you know, putting the fork around the plate and you're doing this and you're doing that. Like, just eat it. It's, you know, just do what you need to do and take care of business. And eventually they did that. And the Cowboys look like one of the best teams in football right now. And when you are one of the best teams in football, that's what you're supposed to do to a team that has already fired its coach. Um, you know, you weren't alive at the time, but I would like to think you would at least have some familiarity with one of the past Super Bowls in which there was a ridiculous second quarter explosion. Do you know what I'm talking about? Super Bowl 22, Broncos up 10 nothing after one. Washington scored 35 oh, in the second yeah. quarter. So I know you didn't personally witness it, but part so of the But that's one thing. I didn't see that one. Yeah, I didn't yeah. see that one. So it didn't I, happen. I was, more, you weren't well, alive. You weren't alive, <laughs> so it didn't happen. That's what I figured out. Anything, yeah. But you know what? Well, I was the same way. I just I remember sure Kyle Juszczyk, you know, just running all over Columbia. Now he does the same thing to everybody in the NFL with San Fran. I, look, it, it just shows you how good the Cowboys can be. And right. Not every team fires on all cylinders all the time. And for most of the game, the Cowboys didn't. The Cowboys, as you said, were playing with their food. They were. And, and then they stopped. And it was time to eat. And they just, I, it just it became laughable and pathetic, depending upon what your perspective is. But my God. And, and it really it wasn't like it was a horrible game. I remember there was a Saints-Colts game the year that Peyton Manning was injured. 2011 and it was yeah. some ridiculous final score 62 to 10 something like that and it was just horrible start to finish this wasn't horrible start to finish it was just one of the most memorable or forgettable depending upon your perspectives fourth quarters we've ever seen yeah it was and look i mean it 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 tells you what happens when the cowboys get ahead and they can unleash those pass rushers and they can just pin their ears back i mean they made matt ryan look horrible okay i mean i don't know what the Colts are going to do at quarterback, I guess Matt Ryan still gives them the best chance to win. But, oh, my goodness. Like, I, I don't I don't know what you do there. I mean, is Nick Foles a better shot? I mean, shouldn't he get an opportunity at some point? Because it's not working with Matt Ryan, despite the fact that, you know, the locker room believes in him and it's this and it's that. It didn't work with Sam Ellinger either. So... I don't really know what you do here anymore, but I, I it, it's it's hard to watch Matt Ryan try to function as an NFL quarterback here in the year 2022. It's just, he doesn't, he, he's not good enough to help you win. And I don't think he's the only problem, but he's also not a solution. So, I mean, the Colts have got more games that we're going to have to watch because they're standalone. But maybe we'll see Matt Ryan, but I kind of hope that we won't. I've got one specific question. I'd like to know whose cornflakes Nick Foles pissed in. Right. To not even be mentioned. And to still be on the roster. It almost reminds me of when Al Davis decided that he was just going to put Marcus Allen on ice. I'm not going to play you, but I'm not going to let you go. You just go sit down and you watch. Like, who did Nick Foles piss off that he's never even mentioned as a possibility? The guy was a Super Bowl MVP, for crying out loud. And I understand that it's this weird set of circumstances, and I still think it was a slumdog millionaire situation for him in 2017 where it just, it just kept flipping his way. He just kept getting lucky, getting lucky, getting lucky, getting lucky. But still, at some point, 
when Matt Ryan is getting – he took some hits last night. How does he get up from them? Because he is skinny as NFL quarterbacks go. And he is old as NFL quarterbacks go. And I admire the guy's ability to push himself off the, off the mat and keep going. But the, the, the interceptions, the fumbles, it's just a mess. And we know Ellinger can't do it. We know Matt Ryan is better than him. But we don't know anything about Nick Foles. And I'd love to know why. Like, it never gets mentioned. It never gets addressed. The question never even gets raised. Why isn't Nick Foles, at least in the conversation, to come in and try to turn something around for the Indianapolis Colts, Miles? Well, I don't know. I mean, Jeff Saturday was talking about it after the game, and he said that, you know, you're a quarterback and you dig yourself into a hole, you want to get yourself out of it. But Nick Foles was the number two quarterback in last night's game against the Cowboys. So it's not like it's not something that Jeff Saturday's thought about where Nick Foles, if Matt Ryan has to go out, then that's the backup. That's the guy that gives us the proverbial best shot to win. So I don't, I don't know why it's not there now. I mean, just looking at Matt Ryan out there, he's not physically capable of beating a team that is that much better than the Col- It's just, I guess it worked out against the Chiefs. I understand that. And, and, you know, it worked out against the Las Vegas Raiders a few weeks ago in Jeff Saturday's first game. But you just, you look at the throws. You look at the fact that he's not protecting himself well in the pocket. It's just, man, it's hard to watch. It's just hard to watch. A couple of weeks before Frank Reich was fired, they benched Matt Ryan for the rest of the season. For the rest of the season. There was no equivocation. Frank Reich made it clear. Sam Ellinger is a starter for the rest of the season. Right. And it was obvious that the owner's fingerprints were all over it. And it was a $17 million business decision because there is $17 million in guaranteed money that is guaranteed for injury until the beginning of the next league year in March, which is coming sooner than we realize. If Matt Ryan can't pass a physical, by the day that that injury guarantee becomes a full guarantee, it becomes a full guarantee, period. So it's $17 million. And after... Jeff Saturday was hired, and one of the various interviews Jim Irsay did, he, he kind of got a little huffy about there's no incentive in his contract. There's no fin- – well, there is. There is. And he mentioned $17 million, so he knew. He knows. He understands. He may not be up on all the niceties, and there isn't a playtime incentive. The incentive is get him off the field – because if he gets seriously injured, you're going to owe him 17 to go on top of the 12 you already owe him for next year. My point is, I think we're at the juncture where it's time to take him back off the field for that $17 million. Why at this point when you're playing out the string? And I know from Jeff Saturday's standpoint, he's trying to do enough. He's trying to make just enough chicken salad to get the job beyond this year. So there's a little bit of a conflict here. And to the extent that Jim Ursay is rooting for Jeff Saturday to do enough so he can give him the job and not be publicly shamed for it even more than he was when he gave Saturday the job in the first place, maybe it's $17 million he's worth or he's willing to risk. That, that's the only reason to let Matt Ryan keep going. If Jeff Saturday believes Ryan gives him the best chance to win the job, and I know that's, that's cynical, but so what? It's also true, I believe. Saturday isn't going to make it to the playoffs. His goal at this point is do enough so he's, he's the guy next year. And if he thinks Matt Ryan is the guy that helps him get there, forget about the potential $17 million that's lost if one of those hits keeps Ryan from passing a physical next March. So who knows what they're going to do. 
But at some point, yeah, I think you have to at least consider that maybe Nick Foles can come in and give you a little bit of a spark and maybe win a game or two for you and be the difference between Jeff Saturday getting the job and not getting the job. I guess, but Mike, I, I think whenever you see a quarter that ends up 33 to nothing and you end up losing a game 54 to 19, that's going to stick in the mind of an owner. You know, I mean, no matter how much Jim Ursay wants Jeff Saturday to be able to take that job, that quarter, I think, is going to be one of the lasting legacies of this Jeff Saturday interim head coach stint, especially if, you know, they don't win a game again or they don't do anything better than this. I mean, it's just that's something that's going to be very hard for Jim Mercer to forget, I would imagine. The Cowboys were within a touchdown of scoring as many points as two of their rivals scored combined for the entire game. It was 40 points, 20 to 20, and they played an extra 10 minutes. They did. They played 70 minutes, 70 minutes. of. It just felt like it was headed toward that. Like, neither team deserved to win. Neither team really wanted to win. They kept trying not to win, and ultimately no one did win when the Giants and the Commanders got together for the first of two meetings over the balance of the season. The uh, the tie leaves the Giants at seven four and one. The Commanders are seven five and one. Rematch is Week 15 in Washington, and you know I feel like one of these teams is going to make the playoffs, and one of them maybe falls victim to getting picked off by the Lions or the Packers. And and yesterday, who knows? Who knows which team it's going to be? I feel like the Commanders are still overall better right now and the Giants are sinking but after yesterday who the hell knows yeah and it's one of those things too where you know you look at those two teams and Taylor Heineke I mean he did a good job to help get that game to overtime he had to make the fourth down throw he made it you know and that's the kind of thing that Heineke's just been doing for them and he makes the plays when it just seems like oh my gosh I don't know how you're going to be able to do anything and he just did it, you know? And then this play by Dotson's really, really good to get himself into the end zone, hitting that B button. But when you don't win the game, it's so weird. You know, NFL players, when they have ties, they come off the field and they're like, what in the world just happened? Because it's kind of the Nathaniel Hackett rule, right? Somebody's got to win this game. Well, no, you don't. You can tie. And then when you tie, you end up making some kind of weird playoff scenarios. And like last year, you know, we saw the Steelers had a tie. And because of that, when the Chargers lost in week 18, that allowed them to get on into the postseason. So this could be something that really has some interesting consequences in a few weeks. Well, the tie makes it easier to circumvent a lot of the tie breakers. Right. And and as it relates to the Giants and the Commanders, assuming they don't tie again in week 15, (laughs) Whoever wins that game has the head-to-head tiebreaker without any further question between those two. And whoever of those two slips in just above or lands just behind the Lions or the Packers, yeah, it makes it easier to clean everything up and we don't go one, two, three, four levels deep trying to figure out how we're going to resolve the, the various strange factors that the NFL uses to break these ties. So it does make it easier when we get to the end of the road. And obviously there should be a one at the end of the Giants. Somebody realized that and pulled it off the screen. We've got to get a one on there. That's okay. That's okay. It's early Monday. We're all tired. I know I am. I'm, I'm, looking, I, yeah, I'm looking at a long trip home today just in time to watch the Buccaneers and the Saints. And we will have a 10-second preview of the Bucks and Saints coming up. For now, though, let's go ahead. 
Well, let's do this. I because we talked about how strange the ties. Let's hear it directly from the two coaches involved. Their thoughts, Ron Rivera and Brian Dayball, on the tie game that happened between the Commanders and the Giants. What exactly are you frustrated about today? The tie. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I mean, I mean really, that's, that, I mean, I, I, I addressed them, and I wasn't sure how to address them. What does a tie do for your playoff chances at this point? You know, we'll figure it out. I mean, there's a long way to go. It's better than if it was a loss. Not as good if it was a win. Sometimes I feel like coaches would rather lose than tie, though. That they, yes. they don't want to be in caught moment, in this yes. weird limbo purgatory. Like, I don't want this. I don't, like, what do I say to my team? How am I supposed to react? What do I, what do I feel? What do I do? Like, I don't want that. I'm a creature of habit. I know how to deal with a loss. I know how to deal with a win. I don't know how to deal with this other thing, so I don't even want to put it on my plate. Yes, I agree with you. In the moment, it always feels like that when coaches are addressing the media after games where it's like, I, I just, I don't know what to do here. And we didn't lose, which is good, but we also didn't win, which is bad. But then in a few weeks, the tie actually is way better than a loss. And so it's hard to kind of process that, I think, in the moment. But, yeah, a tie is better than a loss. So, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. And in a 17-game season, it's the only way you even have a chance of finishing 500 at 8-8-1, which both of these teams now do all right let's go ahead and take a break when we return deshaun watson plays football for the first time in 700 days how did it go for him and what did he have to say afterward we'll talk about that when pft live continues right after i just say i felt every single one of those 700 days honestly (laughs) I said, whatever, however long I've been out, I felt every single one of those days. So getting back in shape and everything was definitely, uh, definitely needed to feel that today. It is what it is. You know, I I can't control what the fans do and and what they're, uh, you know, how they approach whenever I step on the field. My job is to go out there and execute and uh, do my best as I can for the team. Deshaun Watson, after the 27-14 win, that really wasn't a direct result of high-end performance by him. First regular season game in 700 days. And I don't care how hard you work out, how many times you practice. And he's been back at practice for several weeks now. You have to be in a game at full speed. And it was the first time since the last week of the 2020 season that we saw Deshaun Watson. And, uh, you know, Miles, you're the Browns fan. I, you know, and I, I don't know how conflicted Browns fans are. Some seem to be completely unbothered by Deshaun Watson being the team's quarterback. That issue is not going to go away. Every time they have a road game, the booing is going to be there. It's just going to be part of it. He's tried to just shrug it off as, well, you know, you're the road team. That's what happens. No, 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 no. It's not not because you're the road team. It's not because it's a rivalry. It's because there's a guy who has allegedly done some vile things, who served a suspension for them, and the last we heard from him on it, he says, I maintain my innocence, and now he won't talk about it at all. So that's why the booing is going to happen. That's why it's going to continue to be a focal point until, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Do we, do we, do we want him to be publicly shamed? I don't know what people want, but they want more than what they've gotten because there has been no public display of remorse by Deshaun Watson at all for the 20 plus civil lawsuits that he has settled the 11 game suspension that he agreed to the $5 million fine that he agreed to pay. It makes it very hard to say, I didn't do anything wrong when you check all those boxes, Miles. 
Well, and you were found by the independent arbitrator that's appointed by the NFL and the NFLPA to have done the things, some of the things that you were accused of doing, right? When it comes to sexual misconduct and assault. So I, yeah, I, I don't know that it's booing because you're the opposing team. Certainly that doesn't necessarily need to be the case, but I mean, in Houston where we sort of thought, well, maybe this will be some sort of spectacle. It didn't end up being that at all. I mean, that was a half empty NRG stadium and a lot of the people who ended up being in there were Browns fans. And there were some clips I saw on social media of Deshaun Watson walking off the field to cheers because that's the, those were the Browns fans that were there. So I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, in terms of his on-field play, he was bad, and he was not good. So that's what I expected after him not playing, as we've been saying, for 700 days. I mean, 12 of 22 for 131 yards. This is the one interception he threw right there in the middle of the end zone. Just didn't see the safety at all who's playing in the middle of the field, and I don't know who he's throwing to there. So, look, I mean, this is a move that the Browns made not just for 2022, but for, a, you know, you'd like to think for their, as an organization, the next 10 years, right? This is the franchise quarterback that the Browns have not really had since Bernie Kosar. And there's been a lot of guys who have come in and gone from that building that have not been able to be that. So, I mean, you know, people were right now to Cleveland, like, oh man, Deshaun Watson's got to improve quickly for the Browns to have chances. The Browns season has been shot since he agreed to the 11 game suspension. So I don't really know what everybody's expecting, but this to me has always been the lost year for the Browns. Can Deshaun Watson get himself to playing at at least a mediocre level so he can go into the off season with some positive energy. That to me is what the Browns have to figure out over these last few games. And it really is a strange situation overall. He won't talk about any of the non-football matters on advice of lawyers and clinical experts. But when we heard from him on August the 18th, the day that he agreed to the 11 game suspension, he said, I maintain my innocence. And his agent, David Mulugeta, had deleted a tweet, but posted the tweet attacking the ruling by Judge Sewell Robinson, the one that found that he had engaged in these behaviors. And he basically lied when he said, I didn't do anything wrong. She didn't use words that strong, but when you read the written document with her reasoning in it, that's the necessary conclusion. He right. testified. He told a story that she believes wasn't the truth. And all we know is August 18, I stand on my innocence. Now I won't talk about it. And back in August, when this all happened, Shefty said he has to comply with evaluation and treatment recommendations. And re reinstatement is contingent upon compliance with the treatment plan. So yesterday we get this vague story from Shefty that he's shown signs of progress in treatment with no details as to what they expect him to do, what he has done, has he shown remorse, has he accepted responsibility, nothing other than he's showing signs of progress. Well, what does that, what does that do to shed light on any of this? What does that do other than make Deshaun Watson look good at a time when he's done nothing to show us publicly that he understands the bad things that were done. It's, and and I, I just think that that question is going to linger. The criticism is going to linger. And, and I, again, I don't know what makes it right, 
But at some point, if he would stand up and say, I understand what I did. I understand it was wrong. I've learned. I've grown. I'm sorry. And I ask for your forgiveness and a second chance. Until he does that, I don't think anything's going to change. I don't think the vibe is going to change about Deshaun Watson. Because I don't, I think that he just views everything that he's gone through as cost of doing business. I just have to do it. I just had to do it. I had to settle these cases. I just had to do it. I had to accept this suspension because if I didn't, it was going to be worse. I just had to do it. I still don't think I did anything wrong, but I just went along with it because it was the only way I was going to get back onto a football field. Now I'm back on a football field and none of that stuff matters. Right. Uh, There's been no contrition. And, you know, I don't know if this still affects or not, but there are active lawsuits still against him from the the women who have not settled with him yet so perhaps that has something to do with it i don't necessarily think that it does no but the lawsuits were pending when he talked about it when he talked about it back in august he didn't say right i'm not going to talk about this because there's pending litigation the right. moment that he wasn't indicted that's when he started talking about it he should have said right. from then i've still got pending legal issues i'm not talking about it at all true yes and that's not what he's done so I don't know. I mean, obviously the Browns want to move on to football stuff and there are going to be more football games to play. You know, next week they play Cincinnati and that's a team that the Browns have done very well against since Kevin Stefanski has been there. So we'll see how that works. But again, I mean, this is going to be, at least in terms of the on-field stuff, an acclimation period for Deshaun Watson to try to gain some positive rhythm and positive momentum heading into the off season. And if he plays well against Cincinnati, man, that's going to be something that Browns fans, I guess, can feel good about. And, and you know, the, there is reason for Browns fans to be optimistic. I mean, the Chiefs on the Bills, the Bengals on the Chiefs, the Browns on the Bengals. I do. There's got to be <laughs> some way property. that the Browns turn <laughs> that into a positive. Let's take a break. Some other quarterback injury news beyond Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll discuss that when PFD Live continues right after this. Lamar uh, has a, uh, it's a knee, but it's not a season-ending type of knee. We'll get more tests tomorrow and let you know how long it's going to be. We'll see. Hopefully I'll have something by, for you tomorrow afternoon, certainly by Wednesday. It'll be more definitive, but it's, it's going to be a number, you know, days to weeks. We'll see. We'll see if you can go back this week. If not, it'll be sometime after that shortly. John Harbaugh talking about the knee injury that Lamar Jackson suffered yesterday against the Broncos, exited the game did not return, not season-ending. I'm told that the MRI today is going to tell them everything. They don't even know what aspect of the knee is implicated. They're waiting for the MRI. It, generally speaking, you can do a, an examination of the knee to determine that the ACL is intact or not. The MRI yeah. always confirms everything. But my estimation based upon what Coach Harbaugh said is they can tell that the knee's stable but something's injured, and they'll know today from the MRI. And if he can't go, it's Tyler Huntley against the Steelers. It's Tyler Huntley until Lamar Jackson can come back. And look, they like Tyler Huntley, but he's not Lamar Jackson. There's a step from Jackson down to Tyler Huntley. Yeah, there is. And and Tyler Huntley, again, acquitted himself well, just as he did late last season and was able to get them that victory. And, you know, when you're talking about the Denver Broncos, it's not like you got to score all that many points. They didn't, and they still won. So that's a good thing for the Ravens because it allows them to keep pace and keep ahead, really, of the Cincinnati Bengals, who also won yesterday. So, I I mean, the, the Ravens are in a position 
where even if they've got to go with Tyler Huntley for a few weeks, they should still be okay because he can still run that offense as they want to run it. The other reality, though, is you're not playing the Broncos every week. True. uh, Yesterday was the perfect game to have Tyler Huntley step in because it was an opponent that they should have beaten much more easily than they did. It took a late touchdown by the Ravens to pull off the win. They've got the Steelers. They've got the Browns, the Falcons, the Steelers, and the Bengals. Not an easy road. The sooner they get Lamar Jackson back, the better off they're going to be. And something Sims and I was talking about last week. When you look at these cluster of teams in the AFC, one of these one of these good teams, one or more, is just going to not make it. They're just not yeah. getting in. Yeah. Um, and and you know the the Jets could end up not getting in. The Patriots, after losing last week and falling to five hundred, they could end up not getting in. The Bills had to worry about possibly not getting in if they had lost to the Patriots. So one of these teams that we're just looking at is like, wow, that's a pretty good team. They're going to wake up five weeks from today and they're going to be saying, crap, we're not in. And uh, uh, it's something to keep an eye on because it could happen to the Ravens because it did last year when Lamar Jackson got injured. Because even though Huntley played well, he was one and three down the stretch and it was just enough to get him on the outside, the Ravens on the outside and other teams, the Steelers, the Bengals on the inside. Yes, exactly. I mean, the Chargers are another one of those teams that could be in that group of teams that you think are pretty good, but all of a sudden they're just out of it. And so, yeah, it's the defense is going to have to step up a little bit more than it has, right? When you allow nine points to the Denver Broncos, that's kind of par for the course. And the Broncos still had a chance at the end of the game to win it. You know, they've got to do a little bit better job. You're the Ravens on defense, especially when Lamar Jackson is out. I think they can, but they still have to do it. Yeah, just like what happened to the Ravens last week, the long field goal comes up short at the end of the game for the Broncos, or they would have stolen the game back from the Baltimore Ravens. Matthew Stafford, Rams quarterback, likely out for the season with a spinal cord contusion. That was an announcement made yesterday by Coach Sean McVay after the Rams lost their ninth game of the year, 3-9, and nine, the worst 12-game record for any defending Super Bowl champion. Now, as I've said a couple of times in recent days, there are plenty of teams out there that would love to have that title of worst defending Super Bowl champion ever. Not yeah. a bad yeah. – it reminds me of when, when Tony Grossi was with the Cleveland Plain Dealer and he got, he got in trouble there because he referred to Randy Lerner, the former Browns owner, as the world's most irrelevant billionaire. <laughs> I would love yeah. that title. I would take that title. <laughs> yes. So worst defending Super Bowl champion is the Rams. But, Miles, it's just, it's just one injury after another. To key players. And this is the problem when you have an F them picks mindset, you pay a bunch of key veterans big money, you better rely on that depth. You better be able to rely on that depth to come in and get it done. And they just they just can't get it done. There's too many guys gone, too yeah. many big names gone, Matthew Stafford gone. Oh, and by the way, Thursday night, Monday night, Christmas Day, and then Sunday night, which presumably will be flexed, the game against the Chargers. But the next three Rams games are all standalone nationally televised games and and i i wrote about this yesterday you know we're going to see some flexing of monday night football next year in december i think this run by the rams may cause the league to say all bets are off and all options are on the table when it comes to moving around these games that are supposedly set in stone late in the year 
Well, they already kind of have that with the sort of Saturday pool of games. You know, they, they probably would have been better off doing that for the Christmas yes. Day games this year. And but I bet they will. Thought? And I bet in the future they will. Yeah. I think we're yeah, going to see exactly. that more often. So they can yes. always pick the best games out of a cluster of, right. of yes. possibilities. And- yeah, because who would have thought, I mean, when we were starting the season that the Rams and the 40, excuse me, the 49ers, the, the Broncos would be completely irrelevant by the time we got to mid-December. And we're already in early December, and that's what this is. So, yeah, it's an unfortunate thing for Matthew Stafford. You know, we'll see what happens with them in the quarterback position. But like you said, Mike, I mean, it's just been one injury after another. And, you know, if you are the most irrelevant defending Super Bowl champion, at least you have Super Bowl champion in front of your name. We're going to take a break. Our 10-second Monday Night Preview right after this. Night football, the New Orleans Saints taking on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Even though both teams are under 500, the Saints are 4-8, and eight, the Bucs are 5-6. and six. The race for the NFC South crown very much alive. And we know what the Saints have done to the Bucs in recent years. Yeah, the Bucs won earlier this year, but last year, Dennis Allen on a Sunday night stepping in for Sean Payton as the interim coach because Payton was on the COVID list. They shut out Tom Brady and company in Tampa Bay. So, I don't know. Hard to rule out the Saints, but Miles, I feel like if the Bucs are ever going to do it, now is the time to put the pedal to the metal. Yeah, I mean, this is a game that the Buccaneers need in order to win the division, so I kind of expect them to win. Tom Brady's going to do Tom Brady things at the end. The Panthers are the team that you just need to keep a little bit of eye on. They could mm-hmm. find a way, especially if the Saints win tonight, to steal this whole thing. That's it for us. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll see you tomorrow morning.